0: This is a Rocket Audio production. Hello, you found Rocket Fuel. We are a weekly youth marketing and youth culture podcast. We interview those that have affected youth marketing and youth culture. And normally the process is this, we ask people about their background so we get to know them. We ask people about their business, whether that be the brand they work for, the things they've done. And then we ask that week's guest for a series of practical insights and things that they understand about youth marketing and youth culture. I'm James Erskine, I'm lucky enough to work at Rocket, and i the presenter of Rocket Fuel. Now normally it's as easy as I've just explained it, but this week is a bit more complicated. As ever, I'm still really keen that you share this podcast with those that you think want to get something from it. Leave us a five-star review, leave us some positive ratings wherever you get your podcasts. But the reason why this week's is so complicated is because this week's guest, Amy Keane, is like a superhero. She's not got one job. She's got about four, all of which I was keen to talk to her about. I was really keen to talk to her about her new business, Six Things Impossible, which is a culture and creative business helping her get better understanding of diversity and inclusion. I also wanted to talk to her about her speaking engagements about cognitive dissonance, which we go on to discuss at quite a lot of length. And she's also the Cultures Editor at Shots, which is a creative uh, publication. She's also worked in and around marketing and advertising for all of her career so far, and she also happens to be pretty bloody entertaining. Have a listen to hear what Amy has to say as we get to know her and as we get to understand her business. And then we ask Amy Keane for her Rocket Fuel. So Amy Keane, uh, you're this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it.
1: It's an absolute pleasure.
0: Now, Amy, we know each other on social media and I saw you talking about a speech that you were giving at a youth marketing conference. And that's when I reached out and say, oh, come and talk about that on the podcast. Mm. But you've got about a thousand jobs. You've got your cultural editor at Shots. You've you've just launched a new business. Bring it to life. What, what, what do you do? What keeps you busy?
1: Uh, <laughs> so I, um, hey, look, I made a decision when I was in my 20s that achievement And my profession was far more important than any of those other things that people consider to be important. (laughs) So I am not married. I've chosen not to have children thus far. And the thing that makes me truly happy is doing a ton of stuff all the time. So that's inevitably what's happened. With my trillion jobs that I have um, in terms of my background, I've always worked in advertising, I've always worked in understanding people, I've worked at various different agencies, I've always done like the innovation jobs or the head of social jobs or I had a really wanky, my wankiest title was head of futures, which I have asked group and um, which god people love it and also the thing is when you're like head of futures you can literally say like in 10 years time we're all gonna wear shoes on our hands and (sighs) people just believe you
0: (laughs) (laughs) the most wanky job title i think was one at universal mccann and that was head of ideation stop Yes, I believe that to be the case. And that what that was about three years ago as well. So not that long ago. I'm
1: well, fairly this, sure there was a there was a head of. I don't know what his frickin this guy who used to work. I'm really he was like a futurologist. Yes. He used to come out with like I remember him making a prediction that in 2015. Obviously, that's past. We'd all have holograms in our living rooms, and Alexa would be throwing recommendations via hologram of things we wanted to buy in our living room. And,
0: and does you know, your Alexa not do that, I Amy? Mean, <laughs>
1: <'cause> mine- <laughs> I don't have an Alexa. I don't trust her.
0: Fine.
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> Massive misogynist.
0: <laughs> so, well, I actually one of my questions was around you being you, you've worked at lots of agencies um i know i'm probably talking to about four people that listen from agencies hopefully it's more than that i guess our listenership is youth marketing youth culture people there might be a fair few agency types but i'm interested in is there an agency type of person and are you an agency person
1: yes And no, (laughs) Um, it depends what agency, what kind of agency you're working at. So the various different agencies I've worked at, PR agencies, creative agencies, media agencies, every single one of those agencies has a different type. For the most part, it's a middle-class person who loves the norm and um, enjoys wearing their kind of comfort blanket of tried and tested um, formulaic creativity. I have never, this is one of the, I guess one of the really sad things about my career is that I never really felt like I fit in. Um, I can be a bit weird. I love thinking up new stuff. I love taking risks. I love, um, you know, trying to do things a little bit differently. And unfortunately, I think the way that the advertising world, the direction that it's gone in is the tried and tested formula, jargon, cliches. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: So so not fitting in, and do you think that's been a benefit? Do you think that's why you've succeeded to the extent that you have?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, the curse is that it feels pretty sh-
0: <laughs> at the time, people,
1: yeah. Yeah, people look at you. You know, like I've had this so many times in brainstorms where I've like thrown out an idea, and the looks on people's faces kills me every time. um Because inevitably, you know what they want to do is a partnership with GQ or a treasure hunt, yeah, which is what any lady <laughs> ever wants to do. But also, it has been a blessing because it's meant that I've always been able to carve out a space for myself. You know, when you're head of innovation you get they people trust you just to just to crack on and find all the cool tech and you know establish the really interesting partnerships and as such I've never really had a boss you know um so
0: that's interesting how do you how are you as a manager how how do you manage people
1: I like to manage people in the way that I want to be managed with trust and autonomy I um I I hate being given restrictions and I like being given freedom and I like being allowed to make mistakes and that's how I treat I've treated all the people that I've managed sometimes that works sometimes that doesn't because I just make an assumption that everyone's just as obsessive as me some people aren't and some people love to be micromanaged but I do not have that ability
0: yeah and what other qualities do you look for in colleagues that that you're working around is there a commonality to the people that you think are great to work with or or does everybody bring something different to the party
1: the, the, the main thing that I look for is open-mindedness. So my, so the company that I've recently founded, which I've been thinking about for years, but I, 2020 just gave me the bravery to finally launch it, is Six Things Impossible. And it's called Six Things Impossible because it's based on a lovely quote from Alice in Wonderland, the book Alice in Wonderland, where the Red Queen says, uh, I like to believe as many as six impossible things before breakfast. And nice. you know, Wonderland, it's about madness, it's about open-mindedness, it's about being yourself, discovering yourself, and so that's the reason why I called my company that, because I can only work successfully, I think, with people who are open-minded, and people who are good listeners, and people who are okay with being around others that are a little bit different to themselves.
0: So, have you ever had a mentor, or do you mentor anybody?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, my, oh, my first mentor, I won't say his name, but I, my very first mentor was the CEO. He was the CEO of a group, you know, one of the big holding agency groups. Yep. Creeped me out. He used to get me to do role play with him. <laughs> um, so he'd be like right imagine we're in a really difficult situation and I'm shouting at you I'm shouting at you like this what do you do like he used to do that at the ivy we'd go for breakfast at the ivy he'd shout at me <laughs> just to see how I'd react and so I that's
0: the do- service you can pay for isn't it I mean-
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I know some people like it yeah <laughs> after that I gave up and I haven't had a mentor since
0: there, but there must be characters in your career that you've been anchored to. You must have like a, a um, you kind of have a, a, a cabinet or a, a group of people that you can chuck stuff at, whether it be a job thing a, an out, you know, a, a direction thing. Are there, are there people like that kind of informal mentors?
1: Yeah, so I um it's It's the best bosses I've ever had, oh unfortunately have been men, just these like amazing men who were absolute um kind of advocates of smart, ambitious women, Guy Phillipson. Uh, used to run the IAB I don't know I love
0: Guy Philipson he was my client at Vodafone (laughs) when I was at OMD and then went to Marketeers Guy was yeah he was in Vodafone marketing and then yeah stayed in touch when he was at the IAB he is a lovely man
1: he is eccentric dynamic interesting creative he was my boss for a while and I don't think I'll ever have as good a boss as Guy, he he's he's the kind of boss that allows people autonomy, but um, he's just been so supportive of me over the last few years, and he has. I just love people with eccentricity, uh, and he is that. Such an interesting character. Paul Frampton is another one. He, um, you know, he he was my boss for a long time when I worked for the Havas Group, and he's another person who, like, he's relentlessly ambitious and he's so curious and so he rewards in people curiosity and a desire for learning, and that's why he and I got on so well. Um, and I love to throw, like, you know, in the past, like concepts at him, new ideas, and he's always been really, really supportive.
0: Um, final question in this section, hmm. um, and it's, it's quite a strange one. I'm going to ask you potentially to speak about yourself in the third person. What, what are you known for professionally?
1: Uh, Amy, I don't want it to talk about myself in the, in the third person. Um, yeah. <laughs> people call me, you know what, it pisses me off, right? People call me a machine.
0: Yeah, I can see why that would annoy you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> for two reasons. The first reason is I do, I have a lot of energy. Um, I put it down to the vitamin B12 that I've taken every <laughs> morning for many years. I have a lot of energy, a lot of passion, enthusiasm. And also I, I do a lot of stuff. I have a lot of projects on. I My productivity levels are high, but I don't want to be seen as someone that does a lot of things I just don't think there's any merit in that I'd rather people thought that I was smart <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I,
0: <laughs> I know I said last question you, with lots of projects on the go do you switch off easily
1: no nope, never
0: <laughs> and <laughs> so you're always on email you're always on the end of a call if people need you
1: yeah God, and is that bad um no no I really, I really like it, it it makes me happy. Everyone knows what makes them happy. I love, I just, like I said, right at the beginning, I love being productive. I love achieving things. That's the thing, that's the core um, element of my personality or self that's linked to my happiness. Um, So yeah, it's, you know, you do what works for you.
0: Um, I also want to ask a question, which I only know because I follow you on social media, on Twitter. Tell us about living on a boat. You lived on a boat for a year, is that right?
1: Yeah, and I've just moved off. Um, and now, actually, you know, one of the things, <laughs> actually maybe the thing I'm most known for is living on that <laughs> boat. <laughs> I lived on a boat for a year because I was, um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I I just want to have a different life to everybody else, you know? Um, And so I thought, ooh, wouldn't it be quirky to live on a boat? So I lived near Kewbridge and it was a lovely houseboat. Not a barge. I could never live on one of those really narrow boats where you feel like you're, you just constantly feel claustrophobic. Yeah. So I was on a boat on the Thames and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it <clears throat> during lockdown. It's just amazing to wake up and you're on the river. It's incredible. But the downsides, I had a psychopathic landlady who was friends with Donald Trump, the mice The water rats are huge. Have you ever seen a water rat? Oh, they're terrifying creatures. And waking up diagonally (laughs) took its toll.
0: Okay, so I'm still here with Amy Keene. Um, She's got a thousand jobs, but let's focus on your new company first. Six Things Impossible, and it has some kind of, key areas it's it's around culture and it's around diversity is that broadly right Amy?
1: yes that is that is correct so i've i've worked in the advertising industry for about 16 years and over that time i've just noticed various things that have broken like company culture like collaboration particularly collaboration everyone's so obsessed with winning awards and receiving praise that people are really protective over ideas now which means that collaboration across companies and across agencies etc has suffered Um, but also diversity in our industry the way people talk about humans the way people talk about trends it's all just without being a I don't want to sound like a but it's all just kind of flawed so I want to fix it and that's the point of my company and so,
0: forgive me, I'm, I am I I still think in spreadsheets in a way, and I still think in terms of KPIs and outcomes. Yeah. If a business or a company worked with your business, mm. what would be an example outcome for business culture? What would be an example outcome for diversity?
1: That's a brilliant question. So far too often, I mean, I, I would describe the process... Is moving from lip service to tangible human outcomes. Um, oh, I wonder whether that sounds like jargon, but it is what I mean. So far too often, an organisation will describe their culture, and it will be a few words on a PowerPoint slide. We're we're honest, we're authentic, we're inclusive, and it's just words. Yeah. What's normally happened is that the leader of that organization has described their culture and then expected everyone to follow suit. Or the thing that I see most often is your culture will be described as the, um, you know, the the characteristics of the most dominant clique in your business. Yeah. What's required if you really care? Now, I can only work with people who care when I do like diversity consulting or when I do culture consulting. If you don't care, then I can't work with you. What is generally required is some kind of, it's an audit. And I say, actually, you shouldn't think of your organization as a as having a culture. Think of it as a society. Think of your company as a society. You need the f-ing rules in place. You need fair pay. You need fair treatment. You need... Um, to treat people with respect. You need people to feel respected. You need to have all the things in place that a society would need in place and then a culture will thrive. So what I do across a lot of my work, particularly my diversity work, like DICE, for example, yeah. is just to ensure that the stuff is there.
0: So... So the audit is the first thing. And then once you've yeah. got the audit, you might say, OK, you're doing great business partner on this thing. You're doing mm-hmm. less well on this thing. Yeah. And then your business would give practical steps to improve their inclusivity to improve their diversity to improve them not hiring in their own image for example
1: yeah absolutely and it could also be um over time sometimes uh, pockets of your employee base might have felt disempowered and i do a lot of work to help boost people's confidence um to help people find their voice within an organization and inevitably then use that voice outside in the public realm you know as their their personal brand is cheesy but everyone knows what it means um so I do a lot of work in confidence and and um you know helping people be themselves and be their best selves in an organization
0: that's clever I like that I like that takeaway um I'm going to declare an element of ignorance now. Um, I was a Nirvana fan in my mid-teens, like most public school boys of of my my vintage, Uh, you know, all about the rebellion in Seattle growing up between Henley-on-Thames and Reading. But uh, when Kurt Cobain committed suicide, Courtney Love went out to address the people outside his house in Seattle and said words to the effect of, Kurt Cobain was a selfish prick which is incredible. And then let's take a recent celebrity suicide, Robin Williams. Yeah. Lots of people said, "How? what a shame and how he must've been very unwell. And I was round a dinner table and I, I said, I don't understand the shift in tone. And my little sister just cut me down and went, well, people understand mental health now. And, and I was like, yeah, that's why she's got it. We don't need to even discuss this. The mental health argument and and the fact that people are it's seemingly suddenly now understanding it is it as simple as old gits in the companies that you work with don't get it and younger people do or is it more complicated than that?
1: Oh well, it's obviously. I mean, it is more complicated than that, isn't it? It's a you know the younger generation have been taught that it's okay not to be okay that's a very popular phrase that social media has um, kind of embedded into the heads of young people it's you know there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity and how that you know the older generation were taught it's a really common you know the word that's used a lot in organizations is resilience you know as a leader historically you know potentially like a leader in your 50s or your 60s or even your 70s particularly as a man you're told to keep calm and carry on you know your your strength is one of the most important facets of your leadership
0: I, I you're quite right and, and I think that toxic toxic masculinity is something that people have um started to make steps yeah. to eradicate I definitely still think it's there in pockets of society right
1: yeah good yeah of course and also you know uh, I don't think the mental health battle has been won in any way yet I think a lot of people are vocal about their own mental health particularly in social media but that doesn't mean that the people suffering in silence feel any better and one thing that I talk about a lot is uh, I talk about mental health a lot and I'm very very honest about this subject area but I'm also very critical about a lot of the mental health ad campaigns I've seen because all they do is tell people to talk 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 you have to you know when Robin Williams died when famous people die the thing that everybody says is be kind and also you know if you're suffering talk to someone but actually no one is teaching anyone how to listen you know, sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to go down a dark kind of. Ramp-
0: no, it's fine. Let's do this. Go on.
1: The, well, no. One of the things that you know, when Caroline Flack committing suicide, I think was is just a, a just a, a massive tragedy of the modern age. It's the saddest story. The fact that she she felt she had no other option but to kill herself. But she um, before she died, she posted something on Instagram saying, "I." Tr- I tried to talk to people and I talked to someone and they told me to lighten up. And the worst thing she said in this Instagram post, which is just iconic for all the wrong reasons. She said, the the thing that I I fear most is being a burden. And when no one's trained how to listen, actually talking to them is the most dangerous thing you could possibly do.
0: Yeah, completely.
1: This is where we're falling down, I think.
0: Let's stay now on, on um, six things impossible, just mm-hmm. briefly. Um, yeah. You mentioned at the start that you want to work with people who care. Hmm. how how do you find that out and how quickly do you find that out <laughs>
1: <laughs> honestly at the moment i'm waiting for people to come to me <laughs> fine <laughs> yeah. i i'm i i'm quite prolific with my thought leadership um and i i talk a lot and i i have a you know via Shots Magazine, I'm Cultures Editor I talk a lot about all the different things that I do and that I think are important and so when people come to me which is, you know, that's been working so far I know that they're up for it I know that they give a and I know that they know who I am
0: You've... I get that you've mentioned Shots magazine I was actually going to give you the choice of where we go next whether we go youth marketing whether we go the little girl who gave zero F word or whether we go to Shots but let's go to Shots just briefly (laughs) yeah
1: Um,
0: it talks Shots is all about the best of cutting edge creativity Um, and you're talking to if you like young creatives you've you've had the opportunity to to look at young creatives how do you think they will differ from the creatives of today
1: that's a really good question because i think young people we always talk about young people like they're an anomaly but young people, the human brain doesn't change that much, much. Young people are always kind of the same. They always have the same frustrations that people aren't listening to them, that they're not respected enough. They'll always naturally lean towards subcultures and emerging cultures. That's just what young people do. I do feel, however, though, the influence of the Internet and the, the, the social platforms within the Internet have made young people funny. Yeah, than any of us are mean culture um uh viral culture platforms like god I'm gonna mention it TikTok in the you know in the last year or so have have made young people so funny so think about right when you and I were growing up yep. we had sitcoms our, our the way that we developed our sense of humor was sitcoms So I had friends. Basically, my personality is a combination of all six characters of friends. (laughs) My sense of humour. You know, my parents watched British sitcoms like Only Fools and Horses, and that's framed their sense of humour. Kids nowadays, young people nowadays have so many different sources of funny and they can make their own funny stuff really easily. I feel like the the humour of this next generation is just so fresh and impressive. So I think they're funnier than any creative that we've had. Um, you
0: recently spoke to a load of creatives about TikTok. What were some of the things that they said? Was this for a piece in shots?
1: Yes, it was, yes. Because, oh, industry is so snarky we there's there's an obsession with tiktok that you know and also a narrative that it's just a flash in the pan it's just a novelty it's gonna die in its ass in the same way that i don't know myspace did (laughs) um but it's 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 a really interesting platform because you know only about 50 percent of people on the platform that use it every day make stuff it's like a weird hybrid of a tv channel and a creators platform, um, so I wanted to talk to young people about whether they think it's a flash in the pan, or you know, do young creatives want to create for the platform? And inevitably, they were incredibly frustrated because, for the most part, I think I interviewed like ten young creatives, like copywriters, designers, um, you know, social media creatives, and they said that they hadn't seen any brand activity that resonated or felt like it was made for the platform.
0: and TikToks say don't make ads make TikToks that's their kind of big thing don't they what Mm -hmm. I found fascinating and I might get the example wrong but I'm sure there was a Nando's TV ad recently that was just a TikTok meme and it was probably there about a month late as well it was fascinating that a TikTok meme made it to a a a TV ad, and then also it was a month late, and also the fact that nobody acknowledged that it was probably a meme that originated on TikTok. There's a big thing in TikTok culture as well now about where they're finding it hard to find where some of the memes and the dances have originated, so they have to credit people for where it's originated, so people aren't told off or or slagged off for for copying various memes. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, also, trends can last. This is what I found out. Also, I'm, you know willing to admit that I don't I I need to learn about these it's not just a platform it's the behaviors that the platform encourages um, and the outcomes of those behaviors as well like trends on TikTok can last a day or they can last a week and also what's fascinating about TikTok is everybody's kind of for you screen you know your sort of discovery screen is different um, everyone has a unique experience based on the stuff that they've liked, and it feels it's so subtle and natural, um, which I which I think is wonderful. I just I don't think uh, one of the things that a lot of creatives, the creatives that I spoke to, said is that it doesn't feel like anyone's really taken the time to really understand exactly how it works.
0: I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, why don't we shift from TikTok seamlessly into youth marketing um, yeah. and, and, and some of the themes that you speak about? Um, why don't we approach, first of all, this this kind of the theory of yours of cognitive dissonance, um, yeah. the difference between words and action. And I also want to focus on the basic rules of talking to real women and who these unreal women are that we see on TV and reflected in the media. So where should we start? Should we go with cognitive uh, dissonance? Should we start there?
1: Yeah, let's tackle
0: that. So let's start with the dumb question. What's basic synopsis? What is it?
1: (laughs) I don't know if you've heard of of, of the word slacktivism.
0: Yes, I have, yeah.
1: Yeah, so so it all kind of sits in the same bucket of silliness um the the cognitive dissonance that's occurring at the moment particularly when it comes to brands and businesses is the power of the narrative the slick narrative i saw it i've seen it with clenched fists and gritted teeth for the last five or so years when feminism has been seen as a trend (laughs) um and, and, you know, I, I'm like a sociologist, so I've been studying feminism for the last two decades and it really pisses me off when people treat, um, you know, the, the equality <laughs> or the search for equality for women as a frickin' trend let me get all yeah. right so ah years ago one of my clients was a was a charity um and the charity had a female founder and she'd started the charity 100 years prior it was the it was the centenary of that charity and I was in a room I worked for a media agency at the time and the creative agency was in the <clears throat> room as well and we were talking about how we were going to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of the charity, and yeah. the creative director of the creative agency said, "Oh well, like feminism's really big at the moment, so like let's just talk about uh, <laughs> female empowerment. We'll just like talk about the woman." And I was like, "What? Sorry, am I not allowed to swear? Am I? Can I it's- swear? Are you going to bleep this out?"
0: I think we have to bleep it out because of a box <laughs> that we've ticked. But it doesn't matter. It'll give our producer something to do for hours on end. So yeah, can I have fine. like a
1: horn, like a
0: yeah that's yeah we'll ask for a novelty swear thing that'll be fine (laughs)
1: um and this was about anyway so this story this was about seven years ago and then and then and i was obviously livid for the for the the years that followed you saw it everywhere every brand was talking about empowering women but uh, did they pay their women fairly (laughs) i i i would assume not because the gender pay gap is increasing um it's it's examples like international women's day is for me now the worst day in the calendar year because this is where you see all these grandiose statements that mean nothing so last year i think it was shell changed their name to (laughs) shield
0: That's great. Do you remember when Jimmy White, the snooker player, changed his name to Jimmy Brown for to promote <laughs> Brown Sauce? That's a real-world example, I think.
1: I respect that. Yeah, so
0: do I. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, Sheil, you have more problems with. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it's lip service. It's 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 smoke and mirrors bullshit. Lip, oh, rah, rah. Smoke and mirrors, lip service. That. Um, Never sees its way through to the way the organisation works.
0: So we're on. We, so so okay. So that's uh, slacktivism. Mm-hmm. That is that's kind of one issue. Why don't we? Why don't we touch on y- your issues? And I realise it's related in a lot of the same thing. The difference between real women and how to talk to women.
1: Yeah. So so this is. I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote my book, The Little Girl Who Gave Zero. F- is because I thought that there there needed to be more feminist texts for everyday women. Not, you know, not every woman. There's this kind of, there's a couple of different stereotypes that the communications world has um, nurtured around women. And I think, you know, there's the, the badass woman, there's the female boss, you know the ball busting um kind of sassy woman um then, then also conversely there's the mom who's always stressed and she's trying to multitask um and then you have like you know the perfect women in tampon ads who <laughs> looks incredible perfect hair and rollerblades down a her- seaside pier um one of the things that's just baffled me since forever particularly when i've worked in advertising is that no one understands women um or how to talk to women i don't want to be told to be a badass i don't want to watch someone rollerblade rollerblading when they're on their period um also i i used to work for a beauty company and it it angers me That we beauty companies target by age, even now, Uh, that kind of ideal demographic—18 to 25 year old girls who are living life. They're living life. They're, you know, in the moment. They're all cool. Every single 18 to 25 year old girl is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Let (laughs) me
0: let me chuck something at you here. Yeah, here's something that I I always I kind of theorise. and it's you may you may or may not be aware of this, but it, I call it the scummy mummification of motherhood. Right? <laughs> you 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 either there's a podcast called The Scummy Mummies, which actually I mean I've listened to it a couple of times and I think it's really well put together and rather good. But you, now, when you become a mum, you either become Earth Mother and brilliant at kids, or you have this public persona of reacting against being a mum. Oh, let's get on the wine the second they go to... And there's no middle ground at all. If you want to have face, you are either the best mum or quite deliberately, quote unquote, the worst mum that just has kids in the way. And I think it's a prime example of of placing women in in small boxes.
1: (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. Like if you look at walk past any card shop and you'll see loads of tote bags, talking about gin oh it's ten o'clock it's ten o'clock this kind of narrative yeah about being the worst like needed yeah
0: you're, you're either alcoholic or you don't touch it there's no yeah. middle ground yeah. you know what
1: i'll i'll know i'll be happy that we've reached equality in society when a woman can just be f- average <laughs> and just have an average life you know
0: yeah completely completely I'm, I'm with you there on levels of expectations yes. just jumping about a bit we work with media smart do you know media smart amy they're Ooh. they're the people that teach kids about media and advertising and we've worked with them on a on a campaign about influencer marketing to say not everything you see is real but also mm-hmm. on body positivity and that's the most rewarding and valuable thing i've certainly done for a very long time do you know what i mean just teaching okay. kids it might look like we we are looking like this but we don't really so so yeah let's you mentioned uh, the little girl who gave zero f***. does a bring that to life for our audience and b does that come from the same place that your new initiative practice makes Perfect, comes from
1: yes it does so um, inevitably i mean we spoke right at the beginning about how i always felt weird in my like, the different places that i worked um the the i've kind of used that in everything that I've you know when I started to reclaim my soul and write became a poet and an author I decided that I wanted to be quite focused and write about how brave it is for people to be themselves particularly for a woman to be herself so the little girl who gave zero f- is a feminist fairy tale it's a parody on the on the fairy tale format where you know in this instance the girl wins um and there's no love story involved but it's it's a book about a girl who decides one day to be herself wholeheartedly unapologetically and just to see what happens um and and it talks about how how brave that is and the resistance you come up against and how everyone kind of thinks it's weird if a girl decides not to think about all the things that she's told to worry about like like as you say her body image like you know fitting in and and all those things um so that's it's i i read the book myself to myself because sometimes i need to be reminded that actually you know it's okay to be a bit unique and a bit weird and whatever practice makes them perfect is it does come from the same place so I do a lot of work in events um just as a really quick aside a year ago I founded an organization called dice which stands for diversity and inclusion at conferences and events which is all about how we can get rid of the manual or they're all white, all male lineup at conferences, which is so common across so many different industries. But what i found when I entered that world is that women often uh, hate public speaking. They find it terrifying. They feel like they're judged too much and they feel a, a need, like this burning need to try and be perfect when they present on stage. And so I created this, it's like a six week course to help women find confidence in being themselves, to enjoy themselves when they present and to find their voice and use that in their thought leadership. And so, yeah, it's so, so this is, I'm, I'm basically doing all the same thing, but with various different manifestations.
0: And who's, who's that course aimed at? Is it, um, is it, um, Is it, I I don't know, people at the start of their career, people later on in their career?
1: It's, you know what? It's really interesting. I'm really glad that you've asked that question because of all the things that I create or launch there's never really a target audience the target audience is basically the people that the message resonates with whoever that is so what I've found we just launched this initiative I did it in partnership with New Digital Age are a magazine um, that I believe you know um, yes we, the message was find a finesse your voice in six weeks, you know, boost your confidence. So we have a mix, right? We have women who are just at the beginning of their career and they're just they're so passionate and excited. And we have women who've been in the digital industry for 25 years. Um all of them know that there's something missing or they know that there's there's something in them that they want to bring out and there's there's we're on the first cohort we're on the first round at the moment and I have 20 women and they're all from different backgrounds different personalities different characters they all have different hang-ups and it's the most supportive life affirming group of women um, and they're all they're all like the change in them. We're only halfway through the change in them in three weeks is remarkable.
0: And I'm guessing they will get almost as much from staying in touch with each other and checking in on a regular basis as they will from the six week course as well. Right.
1: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's totally it.
0: Nice. Nice. Great one. Um, Amy, big, big question. Of all the work and of all the roles you do or of all the projects you've worked on, what are you most proud of?
1: I think, you know what, I am, I think I'm most proud of the little girl who gave zero f- because I was told repeatedly by many, many people that I shouldn't do it.
0: I, I can't, forgive me interrupting. Oh, no, I wasn't sorry. going to, but I suddenly thought, <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed people told you not to. Were they telling you not to, or were they saying that there's no market for it, or what was their thesis?
1: It was both. It was both. Um, I spoke to lots of different uh what do you call them literary agents mm. when i was trying to sell the book in every one of them said no i just don't see this getting mainstream attention i just don't see women buying it which is another reason why i think the entertainment world doesn't understand women um but then also you know people close to me people that i know said don't do it it's too controversial you won't it won't sell change the name change the words make it a kid's book and I'm really glad that I, in this instance, I didn't listen, and I, I was I was really narrow-minded.
0: So last section, and this is just the well, I'll explain it in a second. You're, you're good. Yeah. You <laughs> Final section of the chat with Amy Keene is our Rocket Fuel. Now, Rocket Fuel, name of the podcast, these are tangible takeaways, some insights for our audience of youth marketing, youth culture, tech, media marketing types. These are some practical takeaways that they can bring to their day-to-day jobs and their lives. So no pressure, Amy. First question. Yeah, do you know about young audiences, about the youth?
1: What do I know about them? Um, I know that for any youth brand, do. You don't need to you don't need to describe what you do, just do it. Um, and I didn't mean to quote Nike there, I'm not going to talk about Nike. But if you look at the most successful brands um within the youth space space, look at Supreme, for example. They just do cool stuff. They drop, they drop new products like every other week. Kylie Cosmetics, whether you like the Kardashians or not, drops new products every other week. They just do good things. And because of that, they don't really need to advertise that much.
0: Who gets it wrong? Are there there a group of brands? I don't expect you to name and shame, but which set of organizations or which brands get it wrong when talking to youth audiences?
1: Um, the ones that get it wrong are the ones who are obsessed with trends. They're they're being advised wrong by their agencies. I will name and shame because I doubt they'll ever hire me, but Coke, Diet Coke, continue to get it wrong because what they're doing is they're being told that there's trends related to sustainability, there's trends related to terminology, and they're throwing all of that in their TV ads, and it misses the mark every single time.
0: Um What do you think is important to young audiences and what's changed about the way youth audiences behave?
1: This is the thing. I don't think we have to remember that the human brain really doesn't change that much, much. So the transition that a young person goes through from child to teen to adult Hmm. is kind of the same emotionally um, as it always has been. You know, younger younger people are more left wing. (laughs) (laughs) younger people are more attracted to subcultures and and you know activism because it's the first time they've ever used their voice I I I don't think much has changed I think I mean it's the age-old cliche but unfortunately and this is I have um three young nieces the the attention span that young people have has been affected By platforms like tiktok um and and i i that is a, a negative outcome of technology and you can see it not just tiktok ipads um have been a piece of technology thrown in front of children for the last 10 years and that has affected their attention spans and their need for intense entertainment on a regular basis
0: And and going full circle, hence a platform like TikTok working perfectly to engage that
1: audience? Yeah, absolutely.
0: It it might be a question we touched on, it might be a subject we've covered, but it might be that my questions have been rubbish and you want to say something else. (laughs) Give us one takeaway for everybody listening.
1: Um, My one takeaway, based based on what I've observed and my experience, Sidestep hype. We've become, particularly in advertising, right? We've become an industry that's so dominated by thought leaders and hyperbole that everyone ends up just doing the same thing. And this is why all ads look the same. This is why we're all saying the same stuff, is because people are too distracted by hype.
0: Amy, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Uh, if indeed you do want people to get in touch with you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, if there's what I need to do is go into go into a forest and in the forest there'll be someone <laughs> with three clues. Um, I've just I've just re- jazzed up my website so amycharlottekeen.co.uk um, is looking all fancy now. And I've got oh my god, I'm selling merch. You're
0: this selling is, merch. That's
1: yeah, great. this is the thing that young people are obsessed with merch. If you don't have merch, you're basically not. A brand or an influencer i'm not saying that i'm an influencer but i do have merch so i'm currently selling these notepads which are actually really good for your mental health so on one half it says things i should probably give a about and on the other half it says zero f**ks and it's that's really great. prioritizing what you should and should not worry about that's at my website
0: and I am guessing you are also looking for brands to get in touch with you about six things impossible as well.
1: Absolutely, um, but only from next year because I've already like I've just I've got too much to do. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> so, yeah, but from but from next year, I, I reckon I can I can I can fit in a couple of clients
0: lovely so depending on when this comes out this may come out in the new year but you're we're <laughs> yeah. recording at the start of december Dep- yeah anyway get in touch i'm sure amy can uh, fight the traffic so there you go
1: <laughs> Amy, yeah. thank
0: you so much for your time and being this week's guest on rocket fuel it's been a real pleasure
1: yeah i've loved it thank you really nice to talk to you
0: so that was amy good fun isn't she If you enjoyed that, do tell the world. Do share this podcast with someone who you think might enjoy it. Do give us some positive feedback. And stay tuned for next week's Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.